Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8, with your man, King Most. As always, riding shotgun is my dude, John Reyes. Like, subscribe, tell your friends about the Opening Set Podcast. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitch under Hey King Most, King Most on Bandcamp. For John Reyes, it's John Reyes at Bandcamp, but Stank Palmer on Instagram and Twitch. And today's very special guest is Samantha Ronson, living in LA, but has spent time in New York City and London. You cannot name a celebrity or prestigious event where she is not DJed. She's also a prominent member of the scam artist family as well. Multi-talented, accomplished multi-instrumentalist and performer. And in this conversation, Samantha Ronson talks about savoring the moments. I remember when I got my first record deal with Rockefeller and I'd just been offered the deal and I'd gone to the lawyer. My stepdad had come to the lawyer with me and we hadn't signed anything yet, but he was just like, enjoy this. This is the good part. And I was like, I'll enjoy it once it's signed. I can't celebrate till I know it's signed. And my dad was like, trust me, this is the good part. And once I signed that deal, all I kept thinking about is I wish I'd celebrated the other thing because by the time you sign the deal, there's so much business and so much shit in the way that then you're just so worried about like, well, who's gonna produce it or who's gonna do it? And so when I got my deal with Hollywood Records when we signed the Ocean Park standoff thing, I remember saying to the other guys, I was like, yo, this is the good part. I was like, my dad told me this and I didn't listen to him then. This is the good part. And I felt so thankful and grateful that I got a redo because I did appreciate it that time. Life sometimes surprises us in good ways. And that was one of them where I got to actually relive it. And, you know, with age and perspective, be able to see that like, the good part isn't the fucking car. The good part is the keys to the kingdom. You know what I mean? And the reason I like that quote is because it's just direct and like, raw real speak about saving the moments and the wins and the victories because eventually problems or mishaps can come around the timeliness is also it's great it's a good way to kind of stop and look at the season what's happening next what's going on moving ahead also in this conversation the role of speaking truth to power the overlooked joy of djing to non-club crowds it would take a really fun detour into uh, keyboard magic and synthesizer talk and the reason why I like this conversation is because it really checked my preconceived notions and assumptions about DJs like her. You know, I see her and I think, oh, she DJs around the world, DJs for Oprah and Tom Cruise and et cetera, et cetera. But here to be very honest and transparent about all the mundane stuff that even she has to deal with, that I think a lot of DJs like myself also deal with, was like, oh, okay, it's not just me, it's not the end of the world. And I think also truth and facts have had a very odd reputation these past four years. So to hear somebody give that to you know the audience for an entire hour that isn't sugar-coated is also a very welcome thing uh, here on the podcast. But I think just in general as, as people, as we connect with one another. So with all that being said, it really was a great way, and I would say a perfect way to end season four opening set. You can find out more about Samantha Bronson. Follow her on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch under Samantha Bronson. We spent about an hour together talking, laughing, getting game, etc., etc. Shout out to you. Shout out to John Ray. Shout out to you, Jor, and all our listeners for the season. We have another season coming up. All right. Take care. Bye. I like to always ask every guest. This season is very focused on COVID and quarantine and things of that nature. How is your day today right now? How are you feeling? I feel pretty good today. I slept late for the first time in a really long time. I usually have so much anxiety that I don't really sleep. But yeah, I slept pretty late and here we are.
Yeah, yeah. Is that related to what's going on recently or just kind of how you're wired in general? I mean, I'm Jewish, so like I think <laughs> I was just like born that way. And then um and then add Donald Trump, add Corona, add racism, inequality, trans people being killed left, right, and center, the fires. Yeah. Yeah. The apocalypse. <laughs> if I can just jump back. So you were talking about uh, you mentioned Donald Trump, and you have a huge platform. I don't know. I guess I want to ask this to anybody with a huge platform. Were you kind of nervous of speaking truth to power, or were you? No. <laughs> you weren't at all. Okay. No. To people who are listening, and if they have that fear, what can you tell them to kind of like get over that? I just don't really understand what you're afraid of. Like we're literally doing our least. I'm sitting there in my house tweeting and Instagramming, and you know, doing what I can from home, but. This is still America. I'm still protected. I, I still have freedom of speech. I still, while we still have these rights, if we're not using them, we will lose them. Maybe I'm naive, but truth to power, like these garbage people who are in power right now don't deserve to be in power. And I'm not afraid of them, but I'm also insulated and isolated and I work in the entertainment industry <laughs> you know I think I'd be worse off if I spoke for the other side do you know what oh, I mean yeah oh my god yeah that's <laughs> so, that'd be the worst you know it's not really dangerous you know what you know what I read this really cool thing today on Instagram obviously where <laughs> we read all our interesting things it said a reporter once asked A.J. Must, a Dutch-born American clergyman and pacifist who protested against the Vietnam War, do you really think you're going to change the policies of this country by standing out here alone at night in front of the White House with a candle? Must replied softly, oh, I don't do this to change the country. I do this so the country won't change me. The top quote is, someone asked why I bother to bash Trump on social media since those who love him are never going to be swayed by anything I say. You know, because sometimes I think that I'm like, what am I doing? Like, these assholes aren't changing their mind. If nothing that's happened so far has changed their mind, a liberal snowflake with a tweet isn't going to do it. <laughs> I know. It's vanity. And I think in the past few weeks, I've been like, okay, you know what? Yeah, we're all like, we're posting all these like videos and memes of like, you know, oh, look at these hillbillies. We create this idea that they're all like uneducated people. They're not. And the thing is, at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're going to go vote. They're going to tell their best friends to vote. They're going to tell everyone in their community to vote. While people like us, like very progressive liberals who just, you know, centrist, we'll talk about politics or we'll tweet about it, but then we'll kind of just stop there. I hope that's not true. I hope you're going to vote. I know. I know. No, trust, I've always voted, even for like local okay. elections. Well, that's the problem is that we all, not we because it's not me, but so many people just vote for the president and they don't vote for all the other little ones below it. And all of those elections matter because... People like Trump and his cronies, they started in local elections and they make changes on a local level, which honestly is much more effective. Yeah. They were the judges, they were a DA, they were, yeah. and, and they went to senator, then they went to governor and so on and so forth. Yeah. The shit that we're just like, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. so now I'm like, somebody get me a cheat sheet. I am <laughs> voting for every single fucking thing. And then I repost that cheat sheet so yeah. everyone could vote for that thing. It's so funny because like, who would have thought like five years ago that this is such a kind of normal thing in DJ culture? Like repost 
you know, simple guides or how to's on how to register to vote. But I think that kind of speaks a lot to what you were saying earlier, that things are so fucking dire and so like off the rails that for a DJ to be apolitical or silent is just... Fuck you, dude. Especially yeah. because at least in my format and in the music that I play, I'm sorry, if I'm not going to like fight for the rights of those whose music I make a living playing, what kind of garbage human am I? You can't be a white hip hop DJ and not do something. I mean, you can be, but you're a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, listening to you, I realized that you also, you were born in England. Yeah, I just got my citizenship in 2017. Oh, wow. So this is a lot. This is is very exciting for me. When you said, was I nervous? To be honest, I didn't get my citizenship till after Donald Trump got elected. So I was nervous because I was, I finally was applying for my citizenship so I could vote for Hillary. And I did a ton of surrogate work for her. I did so many events across the country for Hillary Clinton. And then when she lost, I was like, fuck, like, am I going to get my citizenship? Like, am I going to be screwed? And then I was on tour with my band at the time when I got the call to say that I could go take my citizenship test. And I was just like, I just said to the guys, I was like, dude, (laughs) I better get sworn in now before they start going through my social media. Well, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because that really showed how dire it is. Like if someone like you is kind of clamoring for their citizenship, imagine how tough it is for somebody else, for immigrant people that are newly to the country or haven't been here for a long time or aren't in the public eye. It strikes the way we're both talking about, that we have to take a stand and like vouch and fight for people that are less fortunate, that are marginalized, that are being terrorized. It's hard giving a shit sometimes. It really is hard. Dude, half of the time I sit there and I've pressed send on something and been like, what am I doing? I'm like shouting in the wind and I like open Twitter and I'm like, all right, what's the shit show going to be today? And I have anxiety opening it. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? And then I'm like, oh, wait, because if we all don't do something, because at the end of the day, I've aged out of conversion therapy. I live in California. I have a job, kind of, not really right now, but in theory. At the end of the day, what he does in the White House doesn't affect me. It really doesn't, like personally. It doesn't fuck with my body, right? But that doesn't mean that I get to just duck my head and fucking go run about doing my business and ignoring the fact that the world is on fire. Well, actually, it does because, you know, you just mentioned the whole you haven't gotten a check since March. Right. Prior to COVID. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've lost not just gigs as a DJ, but also with your band that you just mentioned. What was that like? I feel like it's like a one-two punch, like a double whammy of both your careers. Well, with my band, our singer left last year, so we'd just been doing features, and I took a bunch of time off from it because I just needed a reset, and then we started really working again the end of last year, and then really kind of buckled down the beginning of the year. And so for us, it sucked at first because we were like, okay, we can't work. But then after a while of Pete, my co-conspirator, after him having quarantined for a while and me quarantined for a while we were like fuck it let's just work you don't have it i don't have it and as long as we don't invite anybody else in the room so we've actually gotten a ton of work done and a lot of people have been available because (laughs) no one else is doing anything i mean it's been over zoom like we haven't been able to actually be in the room with anybody but we've gotten actually that work we've actually got a lot of that done 
Yeah. You know, this is actually one of the rare silver linings of this is to actually hear someone saying, oh, people are more captive to work now. So that's a good thing. And everyone's just kind of like, yeah, I've got time. Yeah. You know? I mean, look at us. We're doing yeah. a podcast. I think if this was a year ago, you've been in like, uh, I'm in con right now. So uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's a big, it's a fat note, maybe later. So you've gotten a, a gain from COVID with your band. But personally, what were some gigs that were lost for you? I mean, I lost like 50 grand in March. Alone? Yeah. Because here's the thing. I don't work that often anymore. I don't do residencies. I don't really, because of the band stuff, it's kind of all like a bit up in the air. So every now and then, like one month will be great. And I'll be able to like eat off that for a while, you know? And so March was going to be one of those months where I could just be like, all right, cool. Now I can just like focus on music for the next few months and not stress. Uh-huh. Like weddings and things like that. Oh, you're a, wedding, you're a wedding DJ too? You cut me a check. I'll DJ anything, dude. <laughs> I mean, except for like the inauguration. Yeah, or like wedding. the NRA, like cop ball or some bullshit. Yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. the same way too. Like, I love a wedding. Oh, dude, weddings are the shit. I mean, here's the thing. And I said this before, when I interviewed Rich Medina, he was like, oh, I do weddings all the time. I'm trying to do a Rich Medina voice, you know, very <laughs> deep, baritone. Well, I'll do weddings all the time, you know. Just go get dressed up, you get fresh. And when they hire you, they're hiring Rich Medina. They're not hiring Joe Bob or whatever. So to hear him, to hear you as well, both say that, yeah, I do weddings. Because there's such like a, like a little dumb stigma we have. DJ's like, oh, weddings are bad. But I say all that to say this. People with good taste that are dope, they want to get married. Yeah, I've done... Dope weddings, number one. And uh-huh. on top of that, like, I love a fucking office party. Like, I love anything where, like, people are coming together to get wasted and danced. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I remember doing an interview years ago and people being like, what's your favorite party you've done this year? And I think I had done, like, I don't know, like, a party for Tom Cruise, this thing, that thing. You know, I'd done, like, a sh- so many, like, bold name parties, you know? And my favorite party that year was the Paramount Studios holiday party. It wasn't for like the CEOs and the studio heads. It was for the people that worked at Paramount Studios. And they were lit. And it was like, you know, fucking head of HR was definitely going to get into trouble for fucking like somebody (laughs) in like accounting. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like those parties that are so fun. I love it. I love it. You know, it's funny. I don't want to inject myself in the combo, but I have this alter ego I do on Twitch. I've done it once. I go by Corporate Pat. And uh-huh. basically, I say all like the cheesy prompts that we would say at corporate gigs, you know, uh-huh. and then, you know, we do like a generic like hashtag. And so many of my friends were like all about it because what it does, like they hate working, but they love partying together. And it brings right. and like, yeah, what you're saying, the whole HR person, the accounting, like bought from accounting, getting fucked up. And, you know, the young guys from like shipping and receiving, like drinking Hennessy in the bathroom. There's something about that is really like people love it. I don't want to DJ for people that think they're so fucking cool that they're just like sit by the wall and like have a drink and like film themselves. Like, I want to DJ for people that want to have a good time. Yeah, I've been in that world, like the too cool for school crowd. And they're like, they're the worst people ever. Like, it's just, they're lame. And they're not even there for music. But yeah. Like Jenny, who doesn't go out anymore, she's a mama too. And she, you have a Black Eyed Peas or, you know, Bruno Mars playing. She is like in On the floor. Yeah. Weddings, by the way, they tell you what they want to hear. Yes. Right? Within uh-huh. reason, obviously, before it. And like, I don't let my ego get in the way. Because I'm like, how much are you paying me? Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. What do you want to hear? Sure. Okay. And like, 
there's weddings that I've done. I can't talk about them. I have more NDAs than I have blood flowing through my veins. But like, it doesn't matter who you are at your wedding. Your uncle is going to get drunk and embarrass you. Your <laughs> cousin is going to fuck the groomsmen. It's going to be awkward. And I don't drink. So I'm going to see all of it. And I'm going to have the best fucking time ever while I play whatever song it is that you're grandfather really wants to hear that day yes oh my god I love it. how do you start the dance floor by the way what is your kind of rule of thumb it depends like if i start after the band's been going or whatever and it's just like i just gotta get it going i don't know jackson five that's a good one that's a good one it depends so it depends on the room and this is the biggest pain in the ass for me with twitch is what i'm best at is reading a room and playing for the room so no matter who you are like I will figure out how to get you going. Problem with Twitch is that I don't know who's in the room. I have no fucking idea what to play. Yeah. How do you end a wedding? Because what I do, tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm right. I ask the groom if they're around and sober enough or the bride. Like ask them, hey, you know, I've got 15 minutes left. Do you want me to like slow it down? Is there a song you want me to play? What do you do? You just like go to like the manager of the venue kicks us out? I mean, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that. I and mean, then it's always... I make it up as I go along. What do you do? I mean, there's usually like a wedding planner that's like comes up with like an earpiece in her head and like <laughs> new gray hairs that came out of nowhere. And the, uh, and the witch called the little, uh, walkie talkie. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All black, all black. Yeah. yeah all yeah. black. And yeah. she usually lets me know. Okay. Did you mellow it out or you just keep the energy going or what's it up? depends on the floor. Okay. You know, if, if there's still people on the dance floor going nuts, I play for them. All right. And, Seeing ceremonies, has it, and this is again, I'm thinking out loud, when it comes to weddings and, and love and getting married to somebody for the rest of your life. Okay, well, I haven't done that many weddings. Let's, let's, let's okay. keep it in perspective. All right. And I generally don't see like the ceremony. Like I get like trotted out like after the band, after the cake and like Smith Ronson. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> How do they go? <laughs> You can rewind that. You've got uh, it. And there I go. And I get uncomfortable and keep my head down and play and whatever it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we're talking about, you know, career stuff. And you're, you know, an artist on Scam. And for our listeners that don't know, Scam's a big, you know, management DJ agency. With what's going on with COVID, what was that first initial talk like? Like, hey, this is going on. Tell me about that. I mean, it's Sujit. Like, He's just fam. I've known him for so long. So we were just like, what the fuck are we going to do? He and I have probably hung out more since this started than we have in the decades we've known each other. He's been kind of great about pivoting and figuring out how to navigate this moment because nobody knows how long it's going to last and what to invest in and what to do. And with him, he's made his setup available to anybody scam who needs to use it to twitch or to do whatever this i was streaming from my house but i was just doing ig live and kind of twitch here and there but i wasn't really familiar with the platform i'm not a gamer and i'm actually kind of getting into games right now i have one obsession but i'm not a pc person i just had to buy my first pc and all this so i could like set up obs and do all this weird shit that i just don't understand. I had to buy like a webcam. I'm like, why can't I just use my iPhone? Like, it's just all so crazy. 
But, you know, Sujit set up a room. It's got a green screen and the lights and the whole thing. And he has a guy now, like, on retainer. So if we have any tech questions, he can help us. And two out of the DJ streams I do weekly are on my channel. They're not even on his. And it's not like he's asking for, like, 10% of my, like, eight cheers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but then again, I don't ask for a piece of the cheers I get while I'm streaming on Scam Artist channel either. Ah, okay. The plot thickens. I see how it goes. So it's safe to say when it came to going on Twitch, the learning curve was super sharp. I had like none followers. Do you know what I mean? And like the idea of going from having, you know, 150,000 followers to like two and streaming in a room for four people, your whole perspective changes and you're stoked to DJ for those five people because those five people are there for you. They didn't just happen to accidentally press the way IG Live is, you know? So, like, there's something about building a fan base in Twitch. It feels like back in the day with, like, blogs and, like, chat rooms on fan sites. It feels very connected and it feels very much like your team and everyone's so supportive and everybody, like, is shouting everybody out. It's like a new frontier and everyone's there to help everybody sure so does that like emotional reward does that kind of make up for what you just said you, you mentioned like five people there's more than five people in your stuff yes but in comparison to like what you know there's i look at like some djs who i've never heard of before that have like a thousand or fifteen hundred people in their streams and I'm stoked when I get like 70. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I feel that. Or do you get like a good rage? Like, oh shit, I'm doing numbers tonight. And it's yeah. just like, And by the way, it's the same four people that throw you the tips anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm and I appreciate like, those motherfuckers. Let me tell you. Yeah. I'm starting to get like regulars and there's always the people that are always in first and I always shout them out. And it's all new and we're all learning as we go along. So right now with Twitch, you're humbled and also motivated. Can I say that? Or is yeah. It I always think it's really funny when people are like winning this award has got me so humbled. Like, fuck you. You know what's humbling? Losing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know who's humbled? The other guy that didn't win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I, I like that you're being so transparent behind it because, you know, look at your Twitter, you have like 1.2 million followers on yeah. Twitter. And if you just kind of look at these things on the surface, you would think, oh, that, that this person must have the same amount on Twitch or anything else they're doing that start. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm like a lot of different things, kind of. It's funny because you'll see when I post like a flyer or an invite on Instagram for DJing, it's like super low likes right it's funny because i have a band because i'm a dj because i speak up politically because i have like my brother or whoever it is or like celebrity friends because like a lot of people with a lot of followers follow me do you know what i mean so then i always get like you know trickle down <laughs> followers like they think i'm gonna like email lady gaga their latest request do you know what i mean like could you send this to lady gaga like uh, no. How about that? Yeah. How about no, cool. I'm not going to do that. I really like that. We're friends because of I don't do stuff. Yeah, because like I'm not it's that cool. guy. Yeah. But so, you know, when it comes down to it, I wonder who is there for the DJing? Who is there for this? And so I don't think those numbers translate across the board because so many people are there for different things. Yeah, I see a lot of fellow DJs or music friends saying, yeah, I can post a like funny TikTok and I'll get way more engagement than me posting my new album that came out. Yeah. 
Or like yesterday, I did a live stream from the studio while we were making a new song. And people were like, oh, you have a band? Oh, you write songs? Oh, you do? It's just like, yeah. And I'm never like, how dare you not know this about me? I'm always like, yeah, no, that's cool that you know me from something else and you're now learning this. And I think that's kind of the cool thing about Twitch is that because it's kind of wide open for what we're using it for, I'm not using it as like a gamer trying to be ninja. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to have a platform that I'm not going to get kicked off for playing a fucking Dua Lipa song, you know? And so, you know, this is a new place where like people that maybe don't even know who the fuck I am, but DJ five told them to follow me. And now they're like, Oh, she's, it's kind of cool because as much as I've had my 20 something year career as a DJ, there's so many haters out there who are like, Oh, she's only this because of this or this, that, the other. And it's like, not y'all know me because I was a DJ first. (laughs) The reason I was in those rooms with those celebrities or doing that shit was because I was hired to DJ in the first place. I wasn't a celebrity that became a DJ. I'm not a celebrity DJ. I'm a DJ for celebrities. And so people got to know me because of that. So certain people who know me because of that just are like, oh yeah, or because her brother's this or her dad is this. And it's just like, first of all, like foreigners, not a big influence on the club scene. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Love my dad. He's not gotten me a gig. Yeah, he's your dad. And he's still your dad, embarrasses you, and you love him. And Yeah, I love him to death. And we wrote a song together for his record, but like, that's different. And then my brother and I did such different, you know, Mark and I are very different DJs in that, like, Mark was so intent on being taken seriously as a hip-hop DJ and, and these underground hip-hop clubs in New York. And when I started DJing, like, I had to spin from 10 till 4 in the morning. I played Joan Jett, and I played fucking... Oasis and I played Biggie and I played Gangstar. I just played all the shit I liked. I was in no way trying to be a hip hop DJ. I wasn't trying to be an anything. I was basically a jukebox. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're talking about identity and that was a question I had laid out to ask is that it just sounds like you're voicing your concerns or some of the woes of the way people want to pigeonhole you. So for our listeners, how can they kind of avoid or navigate that world not being seen as like a token or seen as like a wedge? You know, it's so funny because people would ask me like, what's it like to be a female DJ? And I was like, well, to be honest, I couldn't tell you what it was like to not be a female DJ. And the only real problem that I've really faced in the booth is I can't pee in a bottle when I'm DJing. (laughs) Like all the guy DJs I know that like if they needed to go to the bathroom and it was down to it, they could just piss in a bottle. I'm up there trying to figure out the quickest way I can get to the bathroom and get back again before the record ends. (laughs) These are like vinyl issues. This is like OG. And I guess not being taken so seriously because I'm a girl and, you know, there was a lot of that stuff, but I just didn't let it phase me along the way. It was just kind of like me being a girl has anything to do with what I can and cannot do. Maybe because I went to all girls schools growing up. Like I never felt like girls do this, boys do this. I think a lot of the times people like to look for excuses. We're in the arts. Like, I understand if this was like something other than arts, but in the art world, like, it's our place to make an impact or change perspective or change course or just hold your feet in place and be like, I deserve to be here and own it. And don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do because nobody's telling Kanye he can't piss on his Grammy in the toilet. Do you know what I mean? 
it's how you let other people affect you that will ultimately be the difference. It's easy to look for excuses when shit gets hard. It's easy to be like, well, that was just too hard and I just couldn't do it anymore. Okay. I saw, I saw this dumb cartoon in a newspaper or something or maybe on Instagram. Who knows? And there's a guy digging through cave. On the other end of the cave that he's obviously been digging forever is all the gold and the jewels and the thing and the treasure. And it's like, you just never know if maybe it's only two more inches you got to go. Maybe it's two more miles, but you don't know if you don't keep trying. And so it always inspires me to just like not give up on anything because you never know when you're going to hit. Yeah. Were you always very transparent about the struggles or would you kind of keep that kind of guarded to your chest a little bit? I mean, nobody was asking me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little, why, why do you think that no one was asking you? What do you mean? Like nobody was asking me like how it was going or what was happening or like how it felt to be the DJ. <laughs> no one gave a shit. But I think what it is is that I think so many DJs are very private and we rarely share the nuts. The, we, okay, here's the thing. The wedding thing, the corporate party for the regular Paramount people, we don't talk about that. We talk about, again, Khan, Ellen, Stevie Wonder party, the big thousand subscribers in one day. So we only share like highlights. Oh, I think I'm the opposite of that because I was always taught not to like brag or talk about those things because people would be jealous or mad or hurt or sad or look at what they didn't have. So I'm from the generation of like playing shit down. I don't come from this reality show generation of like, look what I can do and look what I have. And I'm the world's worst self-promoter. Like I could sit here and tell you everything wrong with me all day. But like, I would never sit here and be like, I'm the greatest. That's not how I was brought up. Well, you know, we're speaking of greatness and you play piano. You perform it also in the band. Mm -hmm. I saw something about drums and obviously voice. And you I don't play drums. I play guitar, keys, and write. So you play guitar, you play keys, you write. Jack of all trades, master of nothing. Master, don't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying that's how I would come at you with that. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, that's I how know, I was yeah. brought up to be. But I want to ask, oh, how does piano and the guitar, how that influence DJing? But what about the other way around? How does DJing influence playing instruments and stuff like that? I would say that DJing influences more in the studio. You know, like yesterday we were working on a track and I was like, yo, let's take that side stick from Dead Wrong, you know, Biggie and like shit like that. Or like, obviously I didn't take the one from Biggie because I'm not paying for that. Yes. You know? yeah, yes. So this is all, uh, you know, stock samples from, yeah. Uh, yeah. Splice. Yeah, Splice, um, exactly. To okay. be honest, actually, my brother happened to call me at that moment when I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, yo, how would I recreate and that's the great thing about Mark is that because Mark's like a real producer in that sense where like he is such a Virgo and such a nerd and will like sit there and like catalog his fucking loops and do all that shit that I don't do. My boy Pete, who is my co-conspirator and handles the heavy lifting of everything. Like, <laughs> like I'm the one that's like, let's do this, this. And like, here's all the different sounds and here's the palette, whatever else and make it work somehow. That's what Pete does. Pete Nappy, who's my partner, he went to Berkeley, studied scoring, and, and he's an incredible drummer. He plays drums in our band and does most of the heavy work of the production. And um, I'm like the big ideas and the creative and like sonic, more like I want it to sound like this. And I have a lot of analog instruments and things like that and like little fun little toys. But when it comes to like 
oscillators on a computer, like you can go fuck yourself. Like <laughs> I'm not, I don't want it. I don't want to figure it out. I'll turn a knob until I find something that sounds cool. But like, I'm not going to sit here and like catalog drums. But I will call up Mark when I need to know how to do something like that. How to make the dead wrong Al Green snare sound <laughs> like that, but not the Al Green big yes, drum exactly. hit. Exactly. You know, give your, again, this is not your role, but I would say give yourself some credit because you actually know what you want to do. When you make music, that's kind of the hardest thing. Like, where do I start? And like, oh, wait. I'm going to take this little like wood block or wood snare, like you said. Yeah. And let that kind of flourish. If we can talk about keyboards, what you got underneath the hood? Tell me. Okay. A- so my stepdad wrote, I want to know what love is on a Jupiter eight. Oh, okay. We were in London at the time. So he had an English voltage plug on his. Then when we got back to New York, he got another one and then he had another one for on tour. So three Jupiter 8. Three okay. Jupiter 8. So I have in my possession the touring Ooh. rig, the touring Ooh. Jupiter 8, which means on that Jupiter 8, I have all the presets. Oh, my God. So I have the Head Games preset. I have the Waiting for a Girl Like You preset. I have the Jukebox Hero preset. Oh, my God. I have the I Want to Know What Love Is preset. So. Okay. The Jupiter 8 gets used a lot, and I mostly use the Waiting for a Girl Like You patch. Holy shit. 57. Uh, you know um, my number. I love yeah. it. John, you, I don't know if you have the camera on, but John is like nodding his head like, yeah, keyboard. Yeah, thing. I can see him. Yeah, okay, I saw okay. his head poke up over there. <laughs> so patch 57 on the Jupiter 8. Um, and then I have okay. a Juno 60, the one with the speakers, so that way you don't have to like have it rigged to headphones or whatever else. And then I have a Lindrum. Moog, but the newer Moog, the sub fatty. Oh, that's those are good. Um, those are yeah, those are great. And then I have, I bet I have a lot of those boutique Roland. Like I had the Roland Juno for live. Have uh-huh. you seen those boutique sets that Roland put out? I gotta see visually. I'm a little fuzzy on models. Like I know general kind of keyboard, like you're talking about, but these specific ones, I'm not sure. But they're they're literally like they call the boutique sense because it's just the hardware. They don't actually have like the keys on it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen those. Those are good too. Those are good yeah. too. Yeah. So I got like the 808 of that and the Juno. And back when I was actually making money doing this thing, I could buy toys, but now I don't buy toys anymore. If I can ask you a nerdy question, like I want to get a Juno because I just I love it. It's a great machine. Yeah, is, are, are they like yeah? Duh. Are they hard to kind of keep up and maintain, or you know, kind of just buy it, get it serviced? What's up? I thought I found a good deal on like eBay, right? When I bought mine, and then I had to replace basically every sound card in the damn thing. So now it's great. Okay, it took a little elbow grease and a little extra money. But yeah. you're able to now get it. So that's not a common thing. Like I can get my Juno and, be, and just treat it right. And Yeah, just go to like a proper place and don't try to find a bargain because you'll get fucked unless you actually know what you're doing. And I don't. Okay. Same here either. Like I've come so close to buy so many different roads and have a friend come over and like, oh, the sound is terrible on this. You have to tune it. You have to fix the sustain. I'm like, oh, shit. So, oh, yeah. I bought um, my roads from uh, Guitar Center. Oh, I thought you say something like, oh, I bought it from... Pharrell or something. No, <laughs> no, no. Not this, not this. Yeah, no, no famous. It wasn't from Elton no, John. No, I went to really. fucking Guitar Center and, and they have a vintage instruments. I bought a clav and a Rhodes that oh, day. A clav? Oh, man. Oh, that. my God. Do not buy a clav. You have to, it's, it's got strings. You have to tune it. You have to get like a piano tuner to tune that motherfucker. 
Okay, so that's the kind of the difference. That was, that was kind of asking about the whole judo. Like, it takes a lot of maintenance and work. Okay. Yeah, the judo is an electronic synth. No, I, the only time you'll ever have to is like maybe like the sound card will go out on the key, and when you press it, the C doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? Would you use a clav plugin then? Here's my problem with soft synths, and this is the battle that I get into with Pete on like a daily basis. My issue is I don't care if it sounds like it on the top end, the weight is not there. There's no weight. And that's my issue that I get into. And it was funny because I remember my stepdad came over and was using the Jupiter 8. He's like, this sounds so much better than our, because his keyboard player live doesn't play a Jupiter 8. He plays the soft synth version of it. Yeah. And so we were sitting there one day. This is, this was amazing. Me, my assistant at the time, and my stepdad holding down like a C chord on the Jupiter 8, trying to compare it to the Jupiter 8 soft synth, but comparing it to the recorded version of I Want to Know What Love is like there weren't 9,000 other reverbs happening from 9,000 other instruments. You know what I mean? We're like listening to the record version of I Want to Know What Love is not the stem, not just the keyboard part, the whole fucking thing of being like, why doesn't it sound like that? It's like, because there's 9,000 other reverbs happening on 9,000 other instruments. I mean, we sat there for hours. And it's running through a board and recorded to tape. Yes, no shit. Yeah, all these other things. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not, I'm nowhere near as you know, accomplished as you or obviously your father or your brother. But yeah, that's a struggle I have too. I'm always trying to like dirty up the soft synth, like add a saturator or stack things on top to give it that fullness that otherwise is kind of hard. It's just not there. See, what I would do then if I was going to do it is I would take a real live synth and maybe take the EQ and the weight for the real live synth and then put the soft synth on top of that. Okay. So maybe you're not really getting the actual note sound necessarily of the live analog synth but you are getting the bottom end and the weight yeah. and the waveform kind of shit. Yeah. Okay. That sounds some nerd shit. Sorry. No, no, dude. Uh, trust me. I'm using this opportunity for myself <laughs> and our listeners that to say like, hey, this is, there's not a lot of times we have access to somebody like you. So let's make it count. There's another idea I've been wanting to do. I bought like a shitty tape deck. Uh-huh. I need to like bounce down my synths, like from like plugins uh-huh. into a tape, like a Maxwell, like those kind of the good Maxwell tapes. Uh-huh recording out the tape and just bouncing that back into Ableton. This person I used to work with, he got one of those tape reverb. It was like a tape reverb. I don't know if it was for guitar or whatever it was for, but he would use that to record, record it onto that so you get the tape sure. and then back into Pro Tools or Ableton or whatever you use. Yeah, and so something that just basically warming up. It's like a physical thing that soaks up the sound and yeah. gives it that Bye. Okay. You know, I like that we're in this whole tangent, this pocket of production. You did a recent stream, actually. I, I didn't get to check it out. Songs that made you want to DJ. Oh, yeah. Where are those tracks? Because, again, your pedigree is crazy. So, yeah, what were some jams that were like, yo, I'm going to start DJing in a club? Well, I never meant to be a DJ, right? Like, I ended up DJing one night because my boyfriend was the doorman at this club and the DJ didn't show up and we went to my car and got CDs. <laughs> Nice. I just played CDs that night. They were like the OG, like Denon slide out CD players that just had like. Oh my God. Not CDJ. This was like in 97? 98 is when I started DJing. Sorry. So that night I wrote in my journal because I found my old journals recently. It's like, I think I want to be a DJ. 
And then I started buying records and I had already started buying records because I liked the way they sounded. And I liked that crackly, like basically that you didn't take care of your records properly. <laughs> I mean, as you could see, yeah. I mean, actually real quick, Amoeba SF reopened today. So I went and stood in line for about 45 minutes to buy records. Aww. So I appreciate you talking about the seasoning that I didn't take care of this, the, the fuzz. So yeah. yeah. I love that sound. But uh, most of those records I had, they were like, it was like Midnight Marauders or like Main Source was one of the first albums I bought. Uh, Breaking Adams and uh, Gangstar like 90s east coast hip-hop pretty much is what made me want to spin because also new york clubs were kind of segregated musically hip-hop was basically relegated to the small room in the corner like it definitely wasn't being played in like the big clubs or anything so most of the lounges that i was going to in new york were like the celebrity lounges i don't know just wherever our slick spoiled fucking kids were hanging out it was more like trip-hop and rock and roll and kind of like, you know, that 90s fucking music shit. Kruder and Dorfmeister and Massive Attack. It's like on my like music to fuck to playlist now, but like <laughs> not music to like have a good, not music to like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good it's, for those like fuck to playlists because nothing happens in the song. So it's not going to like peak at some point when you're like, do you know what I mean? It's just like. It's a drum break. And like, wow. Yeah. And just, and, yeah. You don't know when it ended. You don't know when it started. It's just like all of a sudden there's like, you've listened to seven songs and you couldn't tell one of them apart. So that was not your job. That was not your style at all. No, not at all. So like when I started playing, I was playing like Prince and I was playing from like the Stones and the Beatles to I, whatever I could get my hands on. Because when I started DJing, you could play what you could find. Oh, I never thought about that. It was okay. vinyl. There wasn't eBay. It wasn't that. Like, I remember there was this one website. I can't remember what it was called. Where Gem? I, Gem. G-E-M-M, right? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I would get my records from. But it was like, there wasn't eBay. There was none of that shit. It was so niche, like, where you would find that shit. There was this record store called Rock and Soul, Midtown of New York, where I would get, like, my white labels and things like that. I remember one year, like, a crate of my records got stolen on New Year's Eve, and I went see Ruben rock and soul like right when I got back from Miami and he laughed in my face when I had told him which records I needed because they didn't have reissues yet there was like none of that shit like you could play what you could find like I remember going to bad boy and getting all fucking bad boy records you know dreams and all these like biggie 12 inches that like you couldn't find unless the label gave it to you like street teams mattered you know you needed to be cool enough successful enough for the street team to come to you to bring you the record or you didn't have that record yeah yeah if not they go get a killer cuts or whatever the other like little bootleg yeah but you didn't get that until it had been proven a hit so like if you wanted the white label of the jay-z record that was dj's only to see if it was going to be a record you couldn't get that like it wasn't on like a killer cuts they weren't on that until it was a record that everybody knew and wanted so there was a couple weeks up until that where like, there were nights where I would clear the dance floor with a new Jay-Z record. Cause there, no, I don't know that song. But like cut to two weeks later, everyone's like, can you play that Jay-Z record? And I'm like, fuck you. If they didn't know the record, they didn't want to hear it. Like now I know it's a hit right when everybody knows it's a hit because 
DJs aren't getting music any earlier than New Music Friday or whatever the fuck else is getting them. So that window of like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Like, it's going to work. Because I know it's going to work because it's top 10 on iTunes. Yeah, because we all know it is. Yeah. You just mentioned like going to Rock and Soul, going to Bad Boy, stressing about do I have the new like, you know, Street 12. Do you still kind of practice some of those habits in terms of getting new music? I have like my playlist. So I'll have like New Music Friday on Spotify and then on Apple Music, they do New Music Daily. So I go through that whenever I can, but I definitely go through New Music Friday over the weekend and then pick out the things that I like. But it's not necessarily just hip hop, obviously, because most of the hip hop on New Music Friday is pretty disappointing. It's just kind of garbage. I'm just like, give me something interesting at least. I'm into the new Big Sean stuff. Like the new Nas, that shit's spicy. I like that record. I feel like the new Big Sean sounds like not that far from the new Nas to me. Okay, so mid-tempo bangers. Nothing too commercial, not too underground. Like that little, that sweet spot right down the center. I, yeah. That's, yeah, it's kind of the hip-hop I'm always like looking for. Yeah. So we're not in clubs, but we're still kind of like DJing online. Yeah. I wanted to actually pivot to something else. Something I saw on your social media. You did a thing uh, about Ellen. And <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's not really about Ellen. It's actually what you said, actually. Here's the thing. I think my perception, maybe a lot of DJs' perception is, if you're DJing for celebrities, if you kind of made that at that level, you're killing it. Like, your writer's crazy. Whatever you ask for, you get. But you said something along the lines of, you know, celebrities, you know, have treated me like shit, or they can't treat you like shit. Yeah, you're an employee. Wow. Once they're cutting you a check, once people are writing you a check, you'd be surprised. Okay. I have had many people treat me like shit. My ego doesn't get in the way. I'm just like, this is a check. Some people are assholes and they treat everybody like shit. You know, there's some people I've worked for who are so nice and everybody from the caterer to the Queen of England will tell you they're so nice because they are. And then some people will tell you that they're so, the people that will tell you that they're so nice are the Queen of England only because they treat the caterer like shit. And if they treat the caterer like shit, they're going to treat me like shit too, generally. Obviously, there is a difference between me and the caterer. I get it because like, maybe I know somebody that they know or I have established myself as an artist, but people with like real money, not artist money, real money, as far as they're concerned, entertainers are just whores. Wow. Do you know what I mean? They're just like people that you can buy and sell. And like those people with that like real money money, you're just like a peasant. Oh yeah, you'll dance for how much? Oh, I can buy you for how much? Damn. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty gnarly when you find people like that, where you feel like, oof. Yeah, oof. I say that word a lot, oof, especially these days. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone has these goals, and like, oh, if I get to that level, I don't have to worry about this at all. And to hear that is kind of like... Also, by the time you get to whatever level it is, you're already trying to get to the next one. I always say this thing, like, to remember when you wanted what you have now. Like, remember when you wanted what you have now before you start wanting something else. Give me an example of that. Like, remember when I wrote in my journal, I wanted to be a DJ. Just wanted to be a DJ. $100 a night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you get that. And then, I mean, I've seen it a thousand times. I remember, like, you don't get a hit like Uptown Funk and just be like, I can quit now. And now you're like, how do I beat that? It's really sad because nobody is happy with what they have. They're already worried about keeping it or getting the next thing because now you're in a room with these people and these people have this. (sighs) Fuck. 
more money, more problems. <laughs> but it's, you know what the problem is, is perspective. There doesn't have to be more problems. There's some cheesy Sheryl Crow lyric. It's like, it's not having what you want, it's wanting what you've got. I might be butchering it, but that's the thing. It's like, you've got to remember to take a breath and be like, holy shit. I remember when I got my first record deal with Rockefeller and I'd just been offered the deal and I'd gone to the lawyer. My stepdad had come to the lawyer with me and we hadn't signed anything yet, but he was just like, enjoy this. This is the good part. And I was like, I'll enjoy it once it's signed. I can't celebrate till I know it's signed. And my dad was like, trust me, this is the good part. And once I signed that deal, all I kept thinking about is I wish I'd celebrated the other thing because by the time you sign the deal, there's so much business and so much shit in the way that then you're just so worried about like, well, who's going to produce it or who's going to do this? You, and so when I got my deal with Hollywood Records when we signed the Ocean Park standoff thing, which wasn't even supposed to be a thing anyway. It was just like a writing session that just fucking kept going. And I remember saying to the other guys, I was like, yo, this is the good part. I was like, my dad told me this and I didn't listen to him then. This is the good part. And I felt so thankful and grateful that I got a redo because I did appreciate it that time because I was like, this is the good part. And I knew it was the good part. And I knew that everything after that is just expectations and and numbers and and so like life sometimes surprises us in good ways and that was one of them where i got to actually relive it and you know with age and perspective be able to see that like the good part isn't the fucking car the good part is the keys to the kingdom you know what i mean mm -hmm. not the keys to the car it's like the road that opens up in front of you and the choices that you get to make where it's all just wide open right before people try to put you in a box or try to tell you you need to do this, you need to do that, or people get involved. But right in that moment where you get that one deep breath to be like, okay, we can do anything. Hmm. I love that. What you're saying right now, it's uh, reminds me of something else you posted on your Instagram. It's a picture with Steve Aoki. And in the caption, you know, you say you've been doing this for 20 years and you want to do this doing it as long as you love it. So that gave me the idea to ask you, what were the, some of the goals you had at first when DJing and what are some of the goals you have now with, with there music? There were none when I started. Like It wasn't a career option. When I started DJing, I was getting $100 a night. There was like maybe two other girl DJs that I knew. This girl, Kaori, who was like this dope Japanese hip-hop DJ. She was rad. She had these crazy long nails. And I was like, how does she DJ with those? Obviously, the things that I noticed. And yeah. then there was this like model girl, Sky Neller, who wasn't very nice to me, but she like DJed all the bad boy parties. And she was, you know, I don't know if she's still DJing, but she had a long career. She went for a long time. But it was something that I started doing to pay for my band. And it wasn't something that I thought of as like a long term goal because unless you were like Jelly Bean Benitez or like a DJ producer spinning or producing dance records, I didn't have any sort of concept of what a DJ career would be. It was just like, let's make some pocket money. Let's just have some fun. So there was no goal. It just kept going and going and going. And then I kind of like, experiences with Rockefeller, story for another day, but DJing just stayed and I just kept getting paid more and more and working more and more. And so at any time I didn't enjoy it, I stopped doing it. 
And there was definitely when EDM was at its peak, where I was just like, y'all don't need me for this period. It ain't about me. <laughs> yeah. You would come to SF, and I would uh-huh. see you in SF. You played like at Fluid. Yeah, that was a hard era for me too. I've talked about a lot in this podcast. I call them the struggle years because it was so hard getting work. And yeah. But I felt like SF was never really my scene because like the money gigs were like dance music. I remember coming and playing like a white party and it was just when Serato was just like going into effect and we still needed to bring the box with all the cables and the thing. And I always had like Wind Doves Cry or Erotic City for just in case of emergency. The shit went down. And just when the dude went up to go get my check, first of all, nobody told me it was a white party, so I wasn't wearing white. And I finally figured out how to get the floor going because it was a house music crowd with like 80s music, up-tempo 80s. But I was, it was a struggle just as I finally got it going. And my man was like, yo, let me just go get your check. Fucking Serato glitched and crashed. And while he's up there <laughs> trying to get my check, it's just silence. It's just dead silence. And then eventually, like, the opening, like, bars of fucking Erotic City. But, oh, man, like, me and SF did not have a lot of good experiences together. That was a really goofy year for DJs. It was not our type of world. For it was not for me. But I would thrive in the underground parties, like, doing stuff with Spin and Rich Medina where you'd come out and That's play. Like, yeah, that was, Nobody that was, was hiring cool. me for that. Nobody let me do the cool guy shit. Nobody brought me in for cool guy shit. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I think a lot of people have that baggage, like, oh, you guys never asked me to do this, why not? How did you get over that, or was it even a big deal to you? I mean, I just, like, drove off in my Porsche and was totally fine. <laughs> Yo, you drove off in a Porsche. That's all you got to say. That's, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. I can't be in the cool guy club? Fine. I'll see you guys later. Couldn't DJ at APT for uh, 50 bucks on a Tuesday? All right, I'm going go, uh, to go to my mansion No, right now. I still did. I still did a lot of, like stuff i just did them myself i just put the nights together myself nice what are some goals you have now for djing because you know we've, we've gone from paying for your band to now i'd just be stoked if i could pay for dinner with it shit we've kind of gone full circle a little bit we really have <laughs> it was funny because the other night i was talking to my girlfriend about it and i said it felt like when i started because like if i'm lucky like with like tips i make like 100 bucks and I used to work for a hundred bucks for six hours in New York, you know, three nights a week. So, you know, if I get a hundred bucks in two hours, moving up. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? Hearing this shit, I can't help but think all this was so fucking avoidable. But you know what? Like, I feel like DJs don't really get to hang out with each other because we're all in our clubs or doing our thing. And like, I've gotten to connect with so many DJs. I've got to hear so many sets, gotten to feel like part of a community, which I felt kind of left out of for a long time, like the boys club that I just wasn't into. Yeah, you know, and I don't drink. I quit drinking like six and a half years ago, so I don't go to clubs. And AM was like kind of my link to like the LA DJs, and he was one of my best friends for a long, forever. And so when he died, it kind of like, that was my like connection to so many people. And, you know, I was kind of traveling all over the world and doing whatever I was doing. And, and, you know, DJs are haters just in general. Like, for some reason, people think that, like, my gig is taking money out of your pocket, which it's not. In the words of Jay-Z, what you eat don't make me shit. (laughs) And so I've never been of that mentality. I've always been, like, 
there's room for everybody and the more you include people the better you feel and it feels better to root for somebody than to hate them you know what i mean so for me i don't know i just kind of like especially when i stopped drinking like i just like fell out of the mix because like i'm not gonna go to a club like who am i go here spin like all my favorite djs that i like maybe ruckus that i would want to go here i'm not vegas sober for free okay you know what i actually was gonna ask that because i just completed like one year of sobriety like not smoking weed or not drinking and you're six years mm-hmm. so not just for my sake, but for other people listening. Like, is there any... Sober, like, in the program, meeting sober? No, I just, I, yo, I just was like, I'm partying way too much. I'm getting older. My therapist said, it's not cute anymore, Patrick. You should maybe chill out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stop for 30 days. 30 became 60. 60 became a whole year. Congratulations. Thank you. And same to you. You know, I think, okay, how are we able to kind of go about your life, do what you do? You stepped out of the club world altogether, or...? Not really. Or- like, it just happened that at that time kind of more into the music side of things and i feel like god does for us what we won't do for ourselves and i'm not like some big god person that's like you know whatever but i do believe in him very much and i just feel like life just takes you where it's supposed to take you and everything happens for a reason and just for whatever the reason it was i was just doing more corporate stuff anyway sorry we are in mobile school right now yeah that's some real shit so I guess I was trying to like figure out like some, you know, maybe some quick tips, how to kind of keep a cool hand when you're trying to clean up your act. Just don't drink. Just don't drink. <laughs> All you have to do every day is not drink. I mean, I go to AA, so that helps. It was weird at first. It kind of felt like spinning for a room that I wasn't in. You know, like I felt like not in the vibe and like not fucked up with everybody else. And, but turned out that's a good thing. <laughs> it definitely changed my DJ. And maybe made me realize that like maybe new kids on the block's not a great idea right now (laughs) maybe that's only funny to me but it also made me think more which is terrible so it's just trying Uh, to find that balance between overthinking but oh same here yeah my therapist says oh you're creating the mental prison i'm like yeah like i now think about what I'm thinking about. It's like this meta thing and yeah, it's fun times, but uh, I don't regret it at all. I'm, I don't want to sell short therapy whatsoever to our listeners. I want to kind of, you know, lighten the mood real quick about something. Sneakers. I recently got into like buying Jordans, <laughs> but I'm a newbie. I'm a hundred dollar a night for six hour sneaker guy. So I'm not even going to try to compare shoes, but this is my problem. This is my question. I'm having a very hard time justifying buying sneakers right now because no one sees me. Is that a fair thing or am I full of shit? As a sneaker aficionado, tell me. No, because I thought about the same thing. Because okay, when I saw Five post about his Union Jordans, have you seen those? No, but I love Union. I haven't seen it though. But yeah. They're a beautiful thing and I was really excited about getting them. And so, I, you know, I ordered them and I did that. How the fuck am I going to get these shoes? Because I can't afford to buy them for 1500 bucks when they uh-huh. come out on stockings. Okay. I can't justify spending that money. Like, sure, I could sure. afford it, but like... Yeah. It's not wise. I'm not... Wait, I'm going to go on my savings and justify like to my business manager that like, I know I haven't made a dollar since March. And so, uh, yeah, $3,000 for sneakers is totally justifiable. No, it's not. So I was like, okay, but I really need these sneakers. So I was like, all right, let me figure out how to find them. 
was funny. I was talking to Five about the sneakers because he got them first and was like, fuck, where are mine? I finally got mine like two days ago. He got his like a week or 10 days ago. So I was like, maybe I'm not getting mine. I'm going to have to buy them from StockX. I can't afford to do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some kidney or some shit. <laughs> two of Do we have yeah. to? And so I was hitting up five about them and he's like, yeah, they're the only sneakers I've bought. You know, I can't justify spending this money. I was like, I know, but like, yo, they're like 1500 on StockX. So if all else fails, ah, I see. Okay. Okay. So they're kind of a small investment. All right. So me not buying shoes, not because no one's going to see me. It's more because the money, because yeah, I, I DJ full time too. It's a financial reason why you're not doing that because no one's going to see you rocking these shoes at a club or a party. Yeah, they are because I'm going to put them on Instagram. What? Oh. <laughs> Aha. Damn, I wish you didn't tell me that because now, all right, I'm in deep trouble. But I, Okay, that's why I thought of it because what Five posted was got dressed up to go to the living room. <laughs> Todd Schneider is one of my favorite clothing designer company. And I got the catalog in the mail a couple of days ago. And I got really sad because I was like looking at all the looks that I wanted to buy. I'm like, who am I going to dress up for? John's my roommate. So it's like my coffee maker and my roommate. Like, it's Twitch. Just, Are you spinning on Twitch? Yeah, I do this thing called Cozy Time. And I'm like really low light. I'm kind of in the dark. It's like mellow vibe. So it's, and plus, yeah, you know. Are you vinyl or controller? I do vinyl sets every once in a while, but I'm more just a collector and a, and a DJ. You know, when I watch like Five or Green Lantern or some of these guys when they're playing and they're like doing all their like fancy scratch things and I'm like, oh, like do people want to see that? Because for me as a DJ for 20 years in clubs, like I came up and it's not about me. It's about entertaining people. It's not the Samantha Ronson show. Sometimes it's Samantha Ronson show when they put me on a stage and I'm like, oh, I don't know yeah. what Samantha Ronson show is, but like, I should probably figure this out. Maybe do a little something. But most of the time, they put DJs in the corner behind a glass for a reason. Like, they want to be heard, not seen. Now on Twitch, like, what am I going to do? I think, well, here's the thing. John does a really popular stream in the, in the mornings, and he's not even on camera. He just plays good, strong music. And I think that is really what Twitch is for. Like, yeah, there's our contemporaries are playing like, you know, Drake and, you know, Uzi Vert, all the big hits. That's not the only viewer, you know? I think there's people that are watching this want to hear music they like. Yeah, I mean, I listen to your thing. Like, you play like Chemical Brothers and Prince and then like Avicii. Like, you're kind of all over the place. So just do you. But I don't know, like, on this platform, like, should I be being consistent so people know what they're in for? Or is inconsistent its own thing? Like, it's so confusing. So, you know, judging from my limited success and John's success and our friends that work at Twitch, they always say, be consistent in terms of how often you stream. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. every Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, whatever, Samantha plays this. And just be genuine and honest. And if people know you and they like what they're doing, they like your taste, and they know you're going to be at this time and this day, they'll be coming back. So if there are people that, that can enjoy music, like Chemical Brothers, Prince, Avicii, and you know where to be found, you'll be fine. What are your goals though with Twitch? I mean, are you trying to be like you know, 50,000 subscribers or just validated? <laughs> um, I don't know what I, you know, because I did enjoy yesterday in the studio like streaming, actually creating, having that. And it's been fun, like playing games online and engaging with people and feeling like I'm not just like 
being a, a loner in the corner of my house, like playing video games while like the rest of the people do real shit. And I like that there's like a place to do all these things, but at the same time, I would like to build something on Twitch so that with or without the pandemic, I can stay connected with people that would never get to hear me spin in any other way. So I am enjoying the fact that like somebody, you know, I've built like over COVID, you know, like I have like a core group of people that are at every stream pretty much. And from fucking South Africa to, I don't know, Vermont, you know what I mean? Or Phoenix or places in America where I don't get to go play. And like all different kinds of people too, you know? So it's just like connecting with people because of the kind of DJing I do at this point in my career is like, I'm not like a Calvin Harris. Like I'm not one of those people where you can buy a ticket to my show because it's not a Samantha Ronson show. Like you can come to see my band, but you're not going to get to hear me DJing. The different cities that I would go to with my band, like Omaha or Pittsburgh or all these places that are more for like tours than they are for DJing. Because most of the gigs I do now are like corporate or local LA little things. So having that opportunity to play for people that I never would get to and that other people who never would get to hear me get to come and hear me play for free. Like not even the price of an Uber. I agree. Like I have a lot of DJ friends from all over the country and we never get to see each other DJ because they never come here or if they are in town, we're both working. So there is, again, these are, I'm like trying to like find the silver lining. And then, you know, what you said, like, I've only seen you a few times, it's been a long time, but now I can go and see you on your schedule and be like, oh, okay, this is what I expected. This is what I want, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not playing, I'm not a dancing monkey playing for whoever's cutting my check. So I can really just play whatever I want. And that's what I was saying, that when you're genuine in yourself, people are going to fuck with that. And then that's what's going to come out on top. I think I'm going to start doing like, now that I've figured out how to play off my iPhone into my Serato controller, because I didn't want to have to uh, buy all these songs that I would only like. There's so many songs that I have that I love that like I would never use for DJing, but like I don't want to spend $1,000 right now to download songs so I can do sad Sundays. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Speaking of songs, I'd like to ask uh, this question as we wrap it up. What is a song or uh, something musical that's been kind of like, it's kind of giving you escape, peace of mind, a healthy distraction, get you out of bed? Is there one, do you have anything going on right now that you really like? That is it? I have a playlist of favorites. So also on Apple Music, they do this thing every week where they like put together what they think your favorite songs are. Oh yeah, yeah, Spotify like, does that too, yeah. Recent that I like that I am laughing is that Young Gravy, Yup. Okay, I gotta check it out. Is it like a fun like pop hip hop song? Yeah, it's a fun pop hip hop song. I love that Too Honest, Vic Mensa. Oh, Yo, that's a good one. Yeah, about shit. The locks. Do we really about shit? I got a new one. The locks. It's so good. It's DMX is on it. It's so good. You know, listening to today while I was in line at Amoeba, um, some old Styles piece song. It's called uh, which one? This is how we really live. It's like a, it's from like 2008. It's like a very, it wasn't like from a big hit, but yeah, that's, that's like a big part of my like musical day, like meat and bones, like dude spitting over beats, but still kind of commercial and problematic. Wait, I have a favorite Styles P song. I have to find it now that you said yeah. that. Yo, there's not a lot of people I would talk to 
about Styles P in this world. So let's let's indulge each other. We have to find it because it's something that Mark put on a mixtape a hundred years ago. We thugs. Okay, I'll look that up. And the Styles P song I was bumping. You know what? It's not on Spotify. Like there's like a sh- like a random shitty clip. The song is called um, "This Is How We Live," and Havoc from Mob Deep made the beat. So oh. yeah, it's some real like brolic like New York shit. So like when I email that. you that brolic. whole thing, yeah, brolic. And I haven't yeah. heard that word in a long time. Hey man, San Francisco, we got our slang. So um, anything else you want to add? I mean, we'll, we always mention your social at the top, but uh, you're 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 good here. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun. I know. Samantha, you're a sweetheart. You're the best. Uh, I hope hope our paths cross in the real life. If not, then on Twitch. Yes, for sure. All right, dude. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much.